Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Grace Atwood. And today we have a bonus episode with the author of our April book club pick. We have Rebecca Searle. Hi, guys. I'm so happy to be here. We're so happy to have you. In case you don't know her, and I hope you read our April book, but (laughs) in case you don't know her, Rebecca Searle is an author and television writer who lives in New York and LA. She's the author of six novels and co-developed the hit TV adaptation of her YA series, Famous in Love, which was one of our book club picks back in the day. Yes. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Oh gee, well, that makes me so happy. Are you is she our first repeat author? Maybe. No, Katie McGee. Because we did thousands of Oh, yeah, Katie McGee. Sorry. We've gotten to a point where we've been doing this for two years now. Yeah. So we're starting to have repeats. Wait, I'm not done. I have more to brag about her. (laughs) Sorry. She also received her MFA from the New School in New York City. She loves Nancy Myers films, bathrobes, and giving unsolicited relationship advice. True. I'm so excited. (laughs) Yes. Can't wait. I wish we were doing this in bathrooms. I mean, listen to none of it, but I do like giving it. Hey, that's fine. So Becca introduced you, but can you give us the quick version of your career from kind of like college graduation till now? Sure. So always been a writer. For me, it was like a born thing, not a made thing. Um, Wrote, you know, when I was young, was entering writing competitions when I was in middle school. Uh, went to USC for undergrad, studied creative writing and fiction, and then I came to the New School and got my master's in fiction at the New School. And while I was there, I wrote uh, a book that will forever remain in a drawer called uh, The Space Between. That was terrible, but I figured out how to write a novel. Doesn't Dave Matthews have a song called The Space yes. Between? Yeah. Yes. Does it okay. have anything to do with that? Well, I mean, uh, maybe the general sentiment? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I I think that, um, yeah, I mean, this is all just leading me to feel like it really needs to remain in the drawer where it lives. Um, Then a year after that, I sold my first novel, which was a book called When You Were Mine, which is a modern retelling of Romeo and Juliet from Rosalind's perspective, Romeo's ex. And um, yeah, and then I like soon I published another book called The Edge of Falling and then I did Famous in Love and after I after the first book came out I wrote uh well let's see no I wrote the second book I wrote the the sequel Truly Madly Famously and then I wrote the pilot script for the okay. TV show so that was about in 2015 and then I spent about 4 years off and on being in LA developing that show and then selling it and then um and then making seasons 1 and 2 of it and then came back here to New York and published The Dinner List, which is my last novel. And then I moved to Los Angeles actually full-time in August. So that's where I live. And now I'm here talking about it in five years. Amazing. That's the that's the little rundown. Well, we, we love all of your books. Um, I'm so excited that you guys I, read Famous in Love. That makes me so oh, happy. Yeah, I've honestly been it. a fan since the very early days. Like I remember – I don't think I read your first book, but I read Feels Like Falling. Yes, The Edge of Falling. Oh, at The Edge yeah, of Falling. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. It's like you and my mom were the only two people who've read that book that makes me so Oh, happy. no, I, I loved it. And it was kind of like – it was kind of that moment when the dinner list got so big where it's like when your favorite band blows up and you're like, I'm happy for them, but also I knew about them first. That yeah. makes me really happy. <laughs> it makes me really happy. And you did. Yeah. Oh, The Edge of Falling. Wait. That can, book got very lost. Can we rewind to getting your first book published? Mm. How – as somebody who is a, a new-ish college grad, how did you how did you do that? What was the process like to write a book and actually see it published? So I always I always say that if you want 
like if you want to be a writer, my it's I mean, it's an aggressive piece of advice, but my piece of advice is always to like get to New York, like get here because this is where this is where the business is. So I got my master's, like I said, at the new school. But the thing that really helps me break into publishing was that I interned at a literary agency. Okay. And I also then interned at Penguin. And I just sort of start, began to like see how the industry worked and how it moved. Like I, when I moved here, I knew I wanted to write, but I didn't even know what a literary agency agent was. Like I just yeah. – I had no idea how the business worked. So um, I think working – and then I – so I interned there and then I started assisting there and it kind of became my job as I was in school. And then yeah, uh, and then I would help – like I was sort of like a book doctor on books. So I did a lot of like nonfiction books. Like I would come in and help authors like put together proposals and I like loved it. It was so much fun. But it really gave me a bird's eye view to how the business works and then also it gave me contacts so that when I had a finished book, I could email an actual agent and say – Hi, like I have this this piece of material. Would you read it? Um, so that's how it happened for me. I mean, I was very I was very lucky, but I always say that I feel like getting into the business and getting like a foot into the business of publishing helped me much more than my MFA did. I feel like so many authors that we've had on have a similar story. Like Catherine McGee mm-hmm. worked in publishing. Andrea Dunlap was a publicist. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like there's so many great yeah. authors who are coming out of yeah. the publishing world that they formerly worked in it seems like such a smart idea like if you want to become a writer like learn the business behind it and absolutely and also i figured i didn't i mean i had no idea if i would ever be able to make my life writing books so i was like great like i want to be in the book business though like i want to be around books mm-hmm. and that would have been fantastic because like that's what i love i yeah. love stories and i love narratives and i love publishing so it makes sense to go there totally so you've made it as a full-time author, which like not a lot of people can say. Um, what's your favorite part of that? I really love being able to manage my own schedule. I really yeah. love that. I, when we were doing the show, I was not in control of my own schedule, obviously, because those days are just so long. You're, we shot everything on the Warner Brothers lot for Famous in Love in LA. And so set was there and our mm-hmm. writer's room was there. And so, you know, you're getting there at like 8 a.m. in the morning and going to set and then going to the room and then going back to set. And I loved the experience, but it was challenging for me to feel like I needed to belong, like I needed to be at a desk at a certain time. I needed to be somewhere at a certain time. So my favorite part about my job is really that I can make my own schedule and I can choose when things get done uh, and what that that. looks like. (laughs) Yeah. And what that looks like. It's a huge blessing, one I don't take for granted. Yeah. Is there any downside, do you think? Um, I mean, I think that I think you have to be extremely self-motivated. Yeah. And I think you have to have a very long term view, right? Like it's easy to say like, oh, I don't have, you know, I don't really have to finish this book today. Well, no, but if you want to finish it in six months, you have to get you have to write now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like you you need sort of like a long term view mm-hmm. on your work. Yeah. In order to, I think, be self-sustaining in that way. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Wait, let's talk about this book. Yes, please. Oh my gosh. So, thank you so much for making us sob. Like, oh my God, I know. <laughs> I sobbed. I'm I think I have a cold heart and this book like like I think about if I think about it even, I start to like tear up. It's so funny cuz I I've been saying this a lot. I'm like it's the only job where someone says you made me sob and and the answer is like thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. You know? I feel like it was enjoyable. It was, it was very honor. cathartic. Mm-hmm. It was a cathartic read for me. Good. We all need a little catharsis. Yeah. Yes. But wait, tell us, where did the idea for this book come from? I have really always, I think 
all authors are really interested in exploring like one or two themes over and over and over again. So the theme that I'm really interested in exploring is like the dialogue between fate and free will, like how much is in our control and how much is just going to happen regardless of what we do or what choices we make. And so all of my books to some extent have been about that conversation. I think The Dinnerless, my last novel was about like getting to go back in time and sort of look at the choices that you make and identify if you could have done anything differently. And this book in five years is very much about the fantasy of getting to see what's com- what's coming um, and the sort of the same themes looking forward. But all of my books, Back to When You Were Mine, have really been about that conversation. Um, and I'm also really interested, <laughs> I'm really interested in the idea that like the future can communicate back to the present. Like they've discovered something. I mean, please like factor to this or, or don't like quote me on it, but they like scientists have discovered that like atoms can communicate information like back to the present or back to the, or from the future back to the past, which what? is really, which is like very interesting to me. And it has to do with time travel, which like they know is like a real, like they know is possible, but never going to be logistically possible. It's all very convoluted. But I like the idea that, that time is not this like linear thing and the choices that we make now are not necessarily like determining a particular kind of future but perhaps that like the choices we make are bringing us towards a future that has already transpired there's something very interesting i think on like a perspective philosophical level about that yeah wait i'm curious are you a plotter or a pantser like do you go into all of your books knowing that you're exploring the same theme or does it kind of sneak up on you? I think I don't really think that I knew that I was exploring that theme until I solidified it in the dinner list. Like I see it very clearly now and mm-hmm. I see that it's the central question of human existence that I'm really interested in. Like how much of our life is in our control, but I don't think that I I, th- I don't think I really knew I was doing that until I got to the dinner list, but I'm I'm like a little bit of a strike distance between the two. I'm not a super intense plotter. It's it's just like ugh, I don't think I could do it. It's really it's it's just not fun. And I think the best part about writing is when it feels a little bit like you're reading and you're kind of waiting to see what happens next. Um, but I have a general sense of where things are going. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so such a big part of this book is the bookend moments of the premonition that Danny has. So then it actually comes to life. And did you have that plan from the beginning? Or did it kind of just develop as you went? I knew that she would. So Danny lives one hour, five years in the future, and lives in the apartment she's never been before with a man she's never met before. And so I knew that that hour in the beginning and the end would be exactly the same. Like I knew it would look the same. And in fact, I wrote it first before I started the book and I sort of put it in a separate document so that I could refer to it. Um, But I knew it would have like an entirely different context when we got there. So it would be like, it would be the same lines of dialogue. It would be, you know, all of the, the all of, all of like the, the, the physical stuff is mm-hmm. exactly the same, but it means something entirely different because now we understand how she got there. Yeah. That really, I, it just like, I'm so glad it, it ended the way that it did and we can talk spoilers. Yeah, yeah, right, right. But I was just so upset. I was like, oh, what? How is this going to resolve? And then there's all these tears and then it comes – it like makes yeah. sense. But that's not how, where I saw it going. I really didn't – in fact, that the, the line at the end where she says um, – like I mistook it. Like I mistook it because I didn't see everything that would lead here. Like I thought it was love, but it's grief. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't – I remember getting to that section and it, like realizing it myself. Yeah. Being like, oh, that's – that's. I knew what would happen and I knew like logistically what would happen, but I didn't realize. I was like, oh, that's why she feels so strongly in that first scene, but she doesn't recognize what the emotion is. Right. Yeah. 
Well, at the beginning, you're kind of like, oh, am I getting ready to read this kind of sexy book? Right. Like, ooh, there's a mystery mm-hmm. man. Ooh, like, what's going to happen? And then you're like, oh, no, I'm going to ball my eyes out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sort of tur- it turns over at a certain point. Like, it might be about midway through. But I still loved it. I mean, I... I think one thing that we feel really passionately about and we've talked a lot about at our live shows is that female friendship is undervalued and under-celebrated mm-hmm. in our culture in some ways. So I always love when there are books that deal with female friendship as seriously as a romantic relationship. I totally agree with you. And I think it is the it is the m- most important aspect of all of the books that I've written. I think I – like in the dinner list, there's five people at the dinner and one of them is the protagonist's best friend. And I think that that relationship between Sabrina and Jessica in that book is like the most interesting relationship there, even though the book is predominantly a love story of her and her ex-boyfriend. Um, so I'm really – I mean the women and the women and my best friends in my life like have shaped my life. It's like they're the – tantamount relationships of my life so it's the most interesting thing to write about too totally and if i think of like the emotional toll that it would take on me if a friend died versus like a romantic partner or a parent or something like there are friends that it's like it's it's literally on the same level yeah yeah yes yeah yes wait so the dinner list was such a huge success did you feel a lot of pressure writing this book like that it had to live up to that uh No, (laughs) I didn't because I really do feel like every book is its own thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not fair, I feel like, to the to the books that I write to try to make them be anything other than just what they are. So I I, know I didn't. I feel like I um, I feel like I just, you know, I want to keep publishing. And I think some books people will love more than others. And some people some books other people will love more than the other ones. And like, that's okay. Not every book is going to be for everyone. but my hope is just to like keep improving as an author and and keep writing books that are sort of complicated and that make people feel. My next book is is very like it's similar in thematics to these two, but it um it deals with like a different kind of relationship. And so because I'm so interested in exploring that like fate free will theme, I like to st- sort of put it under the lens of like different kinds of relationships. Um, so yeah, I just um. I mean, I hope people will keep reading. I hope they like it, how they like the dinner list. Oh, but I also love it. I also feel like I'm – I really do. I keep saying this. I feel like I'm like a mom who had a new baby but like has a toddler at home and is like, the toddler's doing so well. Like I keep wanting to talk about the dinner list. Like I'm like, it hasn't been that long. Like I'm still yeah. so attached to that book. So yeah. I think that I really feel – like I don't – I feel in no way like this is replacing it. I feel like they kind of go together and – my sincerest hope is that, like, if you like the dinner list, you'll read in five years. And if you liked it in five years, you'll go back and read the dinner list. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, you'll get new people going back to that Yes. One. I'm jealous of them because I wish that I could just go read the dinner list and <laughs> not know what happens. That's so nice. Thank it's, you. I think both of them are kind of books that it's like – I'm actually a big rereader in general, but it's yeah. like because it's hinged on such like a reveal. Yeah. Like, you'll never get that back. I can't – I know. I'm jealous of people who get to do it the first time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So wait, I want to talk about the Famous in Love TV show. Sure. Because, first of all, I was super pissed that it got canceled. Yeah. I was so excited. I was like a very big fan of the show. But I mean, I want to know what your role was in that process because I feel like you had a pretty unique situation in the adaptation relative to other authors. I think I did then. I think okay. now it is more common. I, but I think at the time... Wait, uh, can you give us context? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I created uh, the show, which means that I adapt, like I adapted the book. I wrote the pilot um, and I co-created it with Marlene King, who, who uh, created it and ran Pretty Little Liars. 
And so I was like an executive producer on the show and I was there every day. I was in the writer's room every day. I was on set every day. And I think at the time, this was 2015, I don't think an author had ever been the creator of their show before. It's certainly not in the Y space. If it had happened in adult, I don't know. And I was met with a lot of pushback from agents and producers and kind of everyone who just said, you're an author, not a screenwriter. Now people want authors to be involved in their adaptations. They like see the merit in that of having um, talented writers who know the story. Like what, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what a thought. But at the time, no one was really doing it. So it was... It was it was different. So how did that work? Did you write the script before you sold it? Or were you like, I'll sell it to you, but you have to hire me to write the script? I wrote the script before I sold okay. it. I don't think it would have worked. I don't think at the time it would have worked. Yeah. Yeah, I had to. I, I wrote it and then they, they liked the script. Um, and so we were able to sell it off of that. But yes, it was a spec. It was already written at the time. Was that your first time ever doing like a screenwriting project? Yes. I taught myself by reading uh, a bunch of different scripts, like studying the Gossip Girl pilot. <laughs> Probably like <laughs> 70 times I would watch it and then I would read uh, different versions of scripts. Like I would read like production drafts of scripts and I would read like early drafts of scripts that were sold and just kind of see like what the evolution of a script was. So I really – it's uh, writing film and TV is just it's so much more like mathematics than writing books. So I, I sort of like broke it down and I would like watch pilots like The O.C. and, you know, Gossip Girl and mm-hmm. Dawson's Creek and all of that. And I would mark the minutes. All the best shows. All the best shows. Exactly. And I would mark the minutes like, OK, it's six minutes is when X happens. At 12 minutes is when X happens and kind of try to break down the acts. It does feel like more of a science than it an is. art. Okay. It is. Particularly when you – I mean, I think it's less so in certain areas now with streaming because the, the like formula can be a little bit different. Stuff can be 45 minutes long long or an hour and a half or there's like more playroom but I think if you're writing network and if you're writing like a teen drama there really is kind of a specific formula to how that's done yeah do you have a preference of writing books versus screenwriting books books are like my heart and I I feel like it's funny I feel like writing for television and film it it does like it, it's writing, but writing is the wrong word. Like mm-hmm. it's not really what it feels like to me. I think writing books is what I think of as writing, and doing film and TV is like I don't know tangential to that, but it's not exactly the same thing. I don't get the same creative fulfillment out of it. Okay. Did you like it being you worked in a writer's room, right? Mm-hmm. So it was part of a team versus being like the solo author just like at your computer in your sweatpants, or that's how I would be at least. Yeah, maybe you're like fully glammed out. No, it was very different. And I think it was um, both like really illuminating and also challenging to open my like world and something that had been so private and personal up to like a group of people and not just the writers, but like all of the producers. Like, I mean, there's hundreds of people that a show employs and all of them are very valuable to making the thing work and run. So it was um, it was it was a it was challenging. It was a challenging experience. And that's why, like, I hear authors say all the time, they're like, oh, my God, I'm not precious about my material. And I think, like, it's okay, actually, to be precious about your material. It's natural that something that, like, you created out of your own mind that you spent years on that you would feel territorial over. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But if you make the choice to work in film or TV, even if, like myself, you're the creator of that thing, it, you still have to be – it's a collaborative environment. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to be open to other voices. Do you think you'll do more screenwriting? Uh, so I just sold – um uh, I got the rights to Megan McCafferty's Jessica Darling series. I don't know if you guys Stop are. Stop it. Oh, yes. this one is going to. 
Oh my, those books were so formative to Uh my teen years. Like I remember reading them and it just, it gave me the sense of like, it was real talking to you instead of talking down to you. Like I feel like a lot of teen books that are actually meant for teens do sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like not, I feel like YA is a genre is equal opportunity for adults, but I feel like the books that I was reading at that time were all kind of like belittling maybe. And that book I felt like was so real to me at the time. I 100% agree, and I felt the same way. I feel like Megan McCafferty is to the 2000s, what, like, Judy Bloom was to, like, the 80s. Absolutely. Uh, it just, yeah, it was Frank Talk. Frank Talk about sex and relationships yeah. mm-hmm. and all of that. And so, uh, so yeah, so I sold a, a, a pilot script that I wrote also on spec to ABC Signature Studios. And – Oh, my God, stop it. We're hoping to – yeah, we're hoping to move forward with it soon. So, um, so yes, I will be doing more in film and TV. I'm so excited about that. I'm so glad. Um, I also love that she wrote the fifth book and revisited yes. them as adults. I like, I loved that. Oh, the, I mean, I, we could spend like an hour and a half just talking about the Jessica Darling series. I love, love, love those books. Okay. I feel like you've given me the confidence because I I've, haven't read these. I've been, you have to. I've been wishy washy on whether I should reread them because mm-hmm. I've reread some books that were very crucial to me when I was a teen and they have turned out in adulthood to be terrible. I won't ask you for what that will maybe uh, no, off, I'll offline. You, I'll tell you, Sweet Valley Highs is oh hot trash. Yeah, yeah. We, we read it for another podcast. It's um, there's this podcast called SSR Pod, which okay. stands for Shit She Read, and um, she revisits old like classics and Ooh. books we grew up reading, and we were so excited to read it because those books meant so much to us growing up, and then we read it and we're just like, this is so problematic. Like, I remember yeah. being a teen and everyone was either a Jessica or an Elizabeth. And as an adult, I'm like, oh my God, like both of you are terrible. It's mm-hmm. like a it's like yeah. catch twenty two. You don't want to be either. Yeah. Yes. It was very funny. So I've been reluctant to go back to Sloppy First because I'm like, what if it doesn't hold up? I feel like the rug of my childhood it will holds just be up. pulled out from under me. It holds up. It holds up. I'm gonna go home and order it tonight. Yes. Wait, so another transition we want to talk about is making the transition from YA to, I guess, adult fiction. Is that what we're calling it? I don't yeah. know. Sure. Uh, is that the right term? Every regular, time I say adult, people fiction. think like I write porn. It's I know. A real, it's a very like odd – It's cause, but I'm like I don't really know what to say like women's upmarket literary commercial fiction. Like most people yeah. don't really know what that is. Yeah. No, I was writing this outline. I was like adult? Fiction? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just fiction. So wait, why did you decide to, to make that leap? I sold my first book when I was like 24 – and I felt like really, really close to the teen experience of what that feels like to be like young and falling in love for the first time and all of that. And I was also a late bloomer. So like, t- like 23, 24, like checked out t- for me having all those experiences that you- that like other people maybe have at like 16 or 15 or and then I, you know, like I grew up, I did other things. I, I, I got to a point where I really wanted to talk about what it felt like to be 30 and to and like to have like a little bit of a different landscape in my life and and to be thinking about things like partnership and sort of the long termness of my life and what I wanted it to look like. And the dinner list is really kind of a manifestation of me coming to the end of my 20s and taking stock and thinking about my life, which is like a lot of what Sabrina is doing in that book. And I found that I really just sort of felt like it's where my voice belonged. And I'm just like, I'm so happy and grateful to get to publish in this space. It's the best. But yeah, it was a little bit of, I my books are very personal. I think a lot of times I write to like find out how I 
feel about my own life and what's happening in it. And so my books have kind of grown up with me. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a difference in the actual writing of it? I mean, other than that, I think adult books are typically a little bit longer. No, there's no difference. And I, I think my adult books are just as long as my YA. <laughs> I don't write very long novels. Um, no, there there really isn't a difference. It's just that, um, you know, these people are 30 instead of 17. That's it. What about with the audience? I mean, I feel like as you went into adult, I'm sure some of the people who were with you all along followed you like me, but then I, I, did it open up kind of a new, it felt like, it felt like for me that the dinner list had just like, it was everywhere. It had like such broad appeal versus I've tried to get a lot of people to read Famous in Love and Grace is the only person I've successfully gotten mm. on the train. No, it's hard too because you're like, you don't want to leave those books in the I dust. Know. Yeah. You know, like you want, and that's why it's like, it's always so fun and nice to yeah. meet people who have read my YA and and who liked it. But I, I don't know. I think it's, I think that I, I mean, I hope that I've grown as a writer and I think that I, kind of dropped into my voice probably in adult. Yeah. And, and maybe that's what resonates. I don't know. But I'm I mean I'm proud of my way and I hope it continues Absolutely. to find its to find its audience. But and I think that some yeah, I think some people have have, you know, maybe aged up with my books too. But yeah, it's a it's like an interesting I don't know, it's an interesting thing. So we have a bunch of reading questions mm-hmm. for you. I have to assume that wait, because wait. Oh what? Oh. What are you working on next? Oh, she, didn't she already tell us? She kind of said a little, but that oh. wasn't very much of a. I want more. <laughs> oh, okay. What are you working Fine. on next? Uh, Sorry, I, I just <laughs> finished a draft of a new book, but I, I, have, I haven't even talked to my publisher about it yet. <laughs> okay, so we're not so, getting the tea. Yeah, so unfortunately, I can't talk about it here. But okay. there will be, there will be another book. Good. For me. Good. I'm happy that you're not abandoning us for screenwriting. Yeah. I mean, I want both. I want the Megan McCafferty series, but I also want more books. It will all, I think it will always be a little bit of like a dialogue and dance back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a bunch of reading questions for you. I have to assume that because you're a writer, that you also are a reader. Is that fair? Yes. Okay. I don't know. Maybe. There's, yes, I maybe am. there's authors are out there who aren't. No, I am a reader. I mean, like if I could get off my phone. Yeah, same. That mm-hmm. would be really great. What are you currently reading? I am currently reading um Evie Drake. Oh, oh that's cute. Yeah, yeah. I'm really liking it. Evie, Evie? Do we know? I'm unclear. Okay, I'm unclear too. I said I, in my I head Evie, Evie, but Evie. I think um I think it's probably Evie. Yeah, I'm liking it. Um I'm really liking it. And it's it's like with me on tour. And I also just finished Glennon Doyle's Untamed. Oh, that's in the mail to me right now. Yeah. I'm so good. excited. It's so good. It's so good. Have She's you amazing. Listen to I don't know if you're a big podcast listener, but she was on Call Your Girlfriend and the interview was incredible. No, I need to listen to that. I need to listen to that. She started following me actually on Instagram <gasps> because we have the same pub day and I like tweeted her and then she wrote uh, like LFG with like a bunch of exclamation points on my on my Instagram this morning because I was at Good Morning America this morning and she was there yesterday. So I was oh like, oh my ah. God. Do you have a lot of, have you made a lot of author friends? Yes. My, my predominantly my friends are my YA friends. I have a lot of friends yeah. in YA because I, I mean, that's like where I grew up as an author and I think you kind of keep the friends that you kind of came up with and yeah. that you were first doing events with and for, first at festivals with. So most of my publishing friends are YA authors. Yeah, I love the idea of the authors of all of my favorite books hanging out behind the scenes. <laughs> Sometimes it happens. they do. Like Christina Lauren, the two of them, and Jasmine Guillory were all hanging mm-hmm. out together. And I was like, tell me more. <laughs> like, Love. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, what are you – so you said what you're currently reading. What's the best book that you've read in the past 12 months? 
I think it's probably a toss-up between normal people, conversations with friends, both of Sally Rooney's books that I loved. Yeah. I think she's tremendously talented. And I really loved Three Women. I thought it was just – I, like, never read anything like it before. I thought it was really interesting and unique. Um, but, yeah, I love Sally Rooney. Like, love. I love her. I'm so excited for the – Hulu adaptation? The whatever oh, yeah. adaptation of normal people. Hulu, Amazon? Yeah. Something. Something. Something yeah, streaming. Yeah, yeah. Hulu. Yeah. Hulu. Yeah. I really loved those books. And it's interesting. A lot of, I feel like a lot of people like, normal people came second. Conversations with Friends was first. Yeah. I think I like Conversations with Friends even more than I like normal people. You know what? It's I've hard heard, to say. I've heard a lot of people say that it's a one or the other for them, mm-hmm. that they they loved one and hated the other. And I really liked both. Me too. too. Me, too. me too. I didn't read Conversations with Friends. Oh, but you didn't? someone told me I wouldn't like it because it's slow. Oh. I really liked it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think I maybe like normal people a little bit better, but I really liked both. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Who are some of your favorite authors? Um, I really love well Sally Rooney, which we just said. Uh, I love Curtis Sittenfeld. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Curtis Sittenfeld and Emma Straub, I guess, are my answers, and I'm very excited that they both have new books coming out in May. Oh my god! And like highly anticipated. Emma's book is so good. Have you read it yet? No, I haven't ah! read it yet either. It's I've been so waiting because it's not out for a little while, so yeah. I want to read it as it gets closer. I couldn't yeah. wait. Yeah. I'm really excited. I really love her novels. And um, she's also just like a cool person. She came and spoke at our New York live show and I was like, can can we be friends? Yeah. I also, The Love Affairs of Nathaniel P is probably in my top five favorite books of the last decade. Um, and Adele Waldman is the author and I'm like desperate for for, for her to write another book because I just, it, I, it's one of the most incredible character studies I have ever encountered. Um She's just amazing. So, Adele, please write another novel. (laughs) (laughs) So, read anything. This book basically gave me a full on emotional breakdown, not in a bad way. You're welcome. But do you have other favorite tearjerkers that you have either enjoyed or that you read in anticipation of writing this book? It's an interesting question. Um, What's going to make us absolutely miserable? I know. What's going to make us on the news? Um, (laughs) Seriously? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I it's funny. It's like I don't I don't think that I anticipated this book being as sad as it ended up being is the truth of the matter. I think that I wrote it. I think that was probably true about the the dinner list also. I think I I wrote both books from a place of like real sort of positivity and lightness. So, I didn't prepare by reading a lot of dark material. Yeah. I'm like I I'm tend to be like a pretty light and positive person and so like encountering stuff that's dark is sometimes challenging and writing writing the end of this book was challenging and a little bit scary because yeah what was your emotional state as you were like day after day writing the end of this book I wrote it fast I wrote it really quickly because I I like knew I wasn't gonna be able to stay there for a long period of time and um it was sad yeah it was really sad it's the only book I have ever like cried when writing really wow Mm -hmm. okay I yeah. feel like you punched us in the face with the dinner list. Like, yeah, I that, would have cried writing that. I think that book because I was aware, and I won't spoil anything with that because I. Um, but I think I was a, I was sort of aware of like what the turns would be of that of that book, and it was, and it was also because of the way that that book is laid out with their dinner, their sections of this unfolding dinner party interspersed with uh, the main character's love story with her ex boyfriend, and it was so sort of tightly woven that I there wasn't a lot of room to just kind of like just open it up, and, right? And and like I knew when I was going to get to certain turns that were maybe going to be more emotional to write but within five years it kind of it sort of that those chapters just kind of just came out of nowhere and also you like sit in it for a bit yes yes yeah 
Wait, what about YA? So that's where you got your start. Uh-huh. Are you still are you a big YA reader? I am not as much as I used to be anymore, but I have so many friends publishing in the space that I, you know, like I read their books. Yeah. Jen Smith and Jenny Hahn and Lauren Oliver and Lila Sales and Lexa Hillier. Like there's just a, a lot of authors that I really love personally there, and I try to read their work, although a lot of them publish faster than I can read. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but, but yeah, I, I'm trying to think of what I, I'm trying to think of what I have read recently way that I love besides those authors that I love. Yeah. Adam Silvera's Infinity Sun. I oh, just I haven't got, even heard of that. Yeah. Oh my God. It's fantastic. He's okay. a very good friend of mine and he just, he just published his, uh, it's the, what's going to be the start of a fantasy. Uh, oh, we love a fantasy series. Yeah. I'm going to say series because I don't actually know what the final book count's going to be. The book is doing so incredibly well that I, you know, I know that he's really loving playing in this world. Uh, but I read Infinity Sun. It was fantastic. He's, Ooh. we're doing an event together in LA. I'll have to check that out. Okay. Let's do it. So we're going to move on to a couple like really just like fun random questions. Great. Um, this one's not book related at all, but it's in an old bio of yours, at least one that I read. We were doing a little <laughs> research, looked you up as we wrote this outline. But one of the things you said was in addition to things like coffee, yoga, and pretending to be British, you love shiny hair. And you have very shiny hair. You do have shiny hair. Thank you. (laughs) Can you tell us your hair routine? Um, It was very short for a long time. When I wrote that bio, it was about the length that it is now. And it's kind of finally back. Um, Why did you cut it? uh, Why did I cut it? I don't – I just like wanted a change, I guess. It was short for maybe two and a half years. And I really liked it. But now it's kind of back to its long – which is actually easier easier to maintain than the short hair do you have a routine of products that have been your your go-tos honestly i think the most important thing with hair is to not get caught up in any particular products to keep rotating oh interesting the key is to switch it up switch it up yeah you gotta switch it up you heard it here first interesting so another random question we've said that this about eight million times this interview that this book made us cry Hmm. we were curious when was the last time you cried um like uh 40 minutes ago. Oh. <laughs> um, we've been <laughs> doing this interview the <laughs> for 35 minutes. So apparently it was five minutes before you got here. I, I well, we'll say this is publication day. And I feel like there's a lot of emotions that come with that. I yeah. can imagine. So my wonderful publicist, Ariel, we're just getting a coffee. And I had like just a, you know, like a little, a little moment. Cry. I had a little moment. Are you, are you a crier as a person? Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge crier, but when when I get like emotionally overwhelmed, it's my go-to. I yeah. feel like I'm not a crier, but it is so easy to make me cry in a commercial, in mm. a book, in a TV show. And I'm like, what does that say about my life that I don't often cry about my own life, but it's I very easily cry about like random characters. Yeah. Well, sometimes I think you need something to kind of draw out and then totally. you can have a catharsis about whatever it is you actually are personally going through. Yep. It's just that like it tricks you. Yeah. Um, this question is my question. I'm very excited about it because I want to know who would be on your personal dinner list? Um, Nora Ephron. Good one. Yeah. Who I love and whose voice I just miss so much. I feel like she would have so much to say about this moment in time that we're in. Uh, Joan Didion, who I also really love and who's such an interesting person she's and such writer. A good writer yeah she's amazing um this the dinner list is actually dedicated to my grandparents sam and sylvia my grandfather passed away when i was two and my grandmother passed away when i was writing the book um so they would definitely 
be on the list. And then the third's kind of like a rotator. Okay. I mean, sorry, the fifth is kind of like a rotator. What do you mean? Who would it be right now? Like somebody, um, I, I keep saying, I mean, I've said this for a while, but like John Lovett from Pod Save America says, I think he's so funny and I love listening to his podcast. Love Wait. it. Leave it. Did, does he have to be dead to come to your dinner party? No. No. Oh, okay. Dead or alive. Not everyone's dead. Some yeah. Dead. John Didion, very much alive. Oh, yeah. when, uh, some, I got mixed up because of your grandparents. Oh, yeah. yeah. No. The question is always. And Nora Ephron's also what dead. What five I people don't know. and your dad? Yeah. I don't know if Joan Didion is dead or not. No, no Joan around. Didion's alive. Nora yeah. Ephron sadly has passed away. Let's not kill her. <laughs> well, I just thought you were just like killing John Lovett. Joan Didion alive. Nora Ephron sadly <laughs> passed away. John Lovett very much alive. Yeah. My grandparents are dead. And we hope he stays dead. that way. Yes. Sorry, John. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Joan. He's like in his 30s. This is I like know. so dark. Yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah. Okay. I like that list. <laughs> um, yeah. Wait, can you tell us what your writing process is like? Like, are you at home? Do you have snacks? Do you have a beverage? Is there music? Like, set the scene for us. I am not that precious about like how and when and what it looks like when I write because I feel like if I was, I probably would never get anything done with like with my other career of film and tv there's just there and also just like the business of doing what i do i feel like if i if i needed a certain environment i would just be on email all day long i would never get anything done and for the majority of the year that is true i write for probably like four months out of the year uh four or five months so i tend to write books very quickly in five years i wrote in about three and a half months oh wow where were you in your life so was this wall um famous in love was still on or was this after famous in love uh, this was right after I wrote in five years, right after the publication of the dinner list. Okay. So it was fall 2018. This one came together very quickly. Yeah. Uh, fall 2018 and we sold it in March 2019 last year. Yeah. In March. No, that's fine. Okay. That's okay. okay. Um, so yes, in five years came to- together really quickly. So I tend to write for maybe four months out of the year and then I'll be editing for the rest of the time and just dealing with the business of whatever has to be done, writing a pilot. I'm adapting the dinner list right now. We're trying to for film. Oh. So I've been working on that script for the last few months and that's kind of been my project. Do you are are you monogamous? Do you work on one project at a time or are you kinda Yes. I don't I'm not a very good multitasker. I okay. envy writers who are. I know a lot of writers who have like multiple television shows on the air and who are writing two books and it's just not really how my brain works. I'm I need to do like one thing and then another thing and then another thing. So um yes, it's always one thing at a time. Yeah. And so it was just the adaptation of the dinner list that I'll probably go back to once I'm back from book tour on this one. Yeah. Last question for you. What is your favorite book to screen adaptation? Harry Potter. Oh that's answer. a good one. It's, that's a great it, I mean I feel like it is the answer. Mm-hmm. Those movies were incredible and they were incredible magical manifestations of like the magic in those books yeah great yeah so can you please in the tradition of our podcast we have what is called a a desperation minute can you please tell people where they can follow you on social media how they can support you what they can do for you yes please um well you can go to my website which is rebeccasearl.com and it has all kinds of information about like events and where i'll be and where you can buy the book uh, which is the most important thing. Buy it, get it from your local library, get it from your local indie, order it on Amazon. Um, my Instagram handle is Rebecca A. Searle, A for Ashley, which is my middle name. And you can find whatever weird antics I'm up to there. Like sometimes I give advice about how to stay healthy on planes. I don't know. It's weird, bizarre. <laughs> uh, mostly it's just like a lot of me like wandering around the wing in Los Angeles. So if you're interested in that kind of content, you can come to Instagram. And uh, and Twitter has a lot of information too. It's Rebecca underscore Searle. 
Leave a book review on Goodreads and on Amazon and uh, tell your friends about my books if you like them and have them read them too. Go do all of that. Yeah, Go do all that. Do the things. Thank you so much for being here. This was really fun. Thank you guys. This is so much fun. You've been I love fantastic. This. I love getting to talk to the authors of the books that we read for our book club and getting to hear the behind the scenes. Yeah. Yay. And thank you guys so much for choosing in five years. Oh. I can't wait to see what everyone thinks. Same. Yeah. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye guys. Bye.